Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. Welcome to Save for Later from Guardian Australia, a podcast about internet culture and the tabs our brains just can't close. I'm Michael Sun, and coming up a bit later, Guardian Australia's resident TikToker and reporter and newly minted election expert, Matilda Bosley, comes by to chat all about the hilarification of Oswald. And what you see is Parliament House with a giant Shrek in a sort of pleather body, catsuit and high heels twerking to the song Material Girl. It's amazing. But first, we have a very special guest host today because my regular co-host Alex is away on a very well-deserved holiday. I have forced our producer, Miles Herbert, pretty much at gunpoint, <laughs> to come into this podcast. Long-time listener, first-time caller, Miles Hello. Yes, Michael. Hello. Thank you. I have been here the whole time. I've been lurking in the shadows as you make listeners laugh and make listeners cry every single week. But I'm here. I'm on mic today. So what what do you have for me? Are you going to make me laugh or, Michael, are you going to make me cry? Probably both. Hopefully both. Miles, have you ever thought to yourself, am I the asshole? Well, yeah. As a pretty insufferable podcaster in my 30s, it's kind of a question I ask myself a lot. Okay, great. Uh, Now you can find (laughs) out whether you are indeed the asshole via an online bot that's based off the famous subreddit of the same name. The subreddit is also very suitably called Am I the asshole? Question mark. Miles, you must have heard of this subreddit. Yes, I see it pop up in my feeds almost constantly, and I can literally never stop myself from reading them. I think it's like one of the most popular subreddits. It has like millions and millions and millions of users. The posts, as you said, often go viral on other platforms. I think we both see them a lot on Twitter, where Mm. it's almost become like its own subculture slash community. What the subreddit is really about is essentially like people posting in their personal quandaries and ostensibly asking for advice. So often they'll have like a very long and detailed post about the situation and then it'll always end with, am I the asshole? Yeah, I think every time I see a post, it makes me feel better about my own life that I don't have this problem. And then also the back and forth between people who really, really get invested in other people's issues. Mm -hmm. I take particular delight in watching the internet take sides. I know that's (laughs) a really bad thing to say. Yeah. Well, like all things on the internet, it's pure schadenfreude. It's pure voyeurism. Like we love looking at other people's problems. It's basically gossip for our silly little online lives. There are so many cursed posts 
on this subreddit, I'd say 80% of the posts on this subreddit are from men who just hate their wives. Mm. Men will literally hate their wives instead of going to therapy. Do you, do you have a favorite post? Like, do you have a favorite, am I the asshole? I definitely do. And to the surprise of many, um, my favorite one is actually not one of the cursed ones. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's, it's almost bordering on the wholesome. The headline of this post says, am I the asshole for naming my dog Brad? Wow. Okay. I'm going to need more details. And as you famously say, Michael, mm-hmm. say more. Okay. This is just an episode where you drag me. Um, I, <laughs> I see this really clearly now. <laughs> I'm going to read out this post to you. Please do. Cue music. So I've always thought it's funny when dogs have human names. Much more amusing to me than giving them obvious dog names like Spike or Jellybean or whatever. My sister got a new boyfriend, and I'm sure you can see where this is going. I don't think I even have to say his name. Well, my sister came over the other day with him, and we met for the first time. Everything was all fine and good until he asked what my dog's name was. I laughed a little (laughs) and said that his name was also Brad. (laughs) He looked at me for a second and asked if I was joking or not, and I told him no. His name is actually Brad. After that, his whole mood flipped, and the remainder of the visit just had an uncomfortable vibe. A while after they left, my sister called me and started berating me for disrespecting her boyfriend. And then he attaches a photo of his dog, which is a lovely little lad. For the record, for the listener, let's just say Brad is very cute. Brad is very cute. Brad is an adorable dog. He's very handsome. Do you think this person is the asshole? For naming their dog Brad? Yep. Absolutely not. I'm looking at the photo. The dog is giving Brad. It's giving Brad. And I completely agree with you. But a new bot, as I was telling you about, has rendered all this discussion completely irrelevant. We don't even need to crowdsource our ethical (laughs) dilemmas anymore. There is a bot called Are You The Asshole, which mimics this infamous subreddit. It was created by these two artists called Morris Coleman and Alex Petros. And it uses AI to answer the question to end all questions. Am I the asshole? Perfect. Using AI to solve ethical dilemmas, what could possibly go wrong? What could go wrong? Uh, People are using the bot to solve some of the world's most pressing (laughs) problems. Um, I saw one that went viral. Uh, (laughs) Cast your mind back to Bad Art Friend. Do we remember Bad Art Friend? I absolutely, of course, remember Bad Art Friend. It was a viral essay in the New York Times about some particularly spicy drama which has caused me to spend many a night staring at my ceiling thinking about whether or not my WhatsApp messages will ever be released into a court of law. So someone's basically recreated the entire story of Bad Art Friend into this bot. So how this bot actually works is you type in your hypothetical Reddit post and then it generates responses in the exact same tone, tenor, and look as the actual Am I the Asshole subreddit. So this one says... I am an inspiring writer who donated a kidney a few years ago. (laughs) I created a Facebook group to document my journey and invited some colleagues that I thought might be interested. Last week, I learned one of the members, a woman I considered a friend, is writing a story about a kidney donor. The story is pretty clearly inspired by my Facebook post. It even includes a letter creeped from one I sent the recipient of my kidney. But it also makes me sound like a narcissistic racist. (laughs) Long story short, I sent a legal threat to a festival that was distributing the story as part of a reading program, resulting in the program's cancellation. Then the New York Times published an article about the whole thing, and now everyone's arguing over it. Am I the asshole? (laughs) And this bot always generates the responses. Mm. The responses are, you don't give someone a gift without expecting something in return. This is a gift with strings attached. The other person is an asshole. Wow, okay. 
Response two, you're the asshole. You put her story in your mouth and used a bit of your own writing to call yourself the voice behind the story. You should be embarrassed. Shots fired. Response three, not the asshole. The story is awful. The journalist did a disservice to you and the festival was wrong to use it in a program. Gee, I wonder who's going to win the award for asshole of the week, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> that is very snarky for a automated bot. Well, it sounds snarky because the AI system... Its entire data source is Reddit itself, which is why the language that it spits out is in the same kind of like very self-congratulatory, very, I would say, almost overconfident tone and tenor of all Reddit users. (laughs) And it's funny because like it doesn't sound like what you would imagine a bot to sound like, Mm. right? It literally just sounds like a Reddit user, aka annoying. Well, speaking of annoying, I'm going to be annoying here for a minute. I think we actually have to test this thing out Michael, I know you have a take. No. A take no. you live in fear no. people will find out about. No. So please, let's let the bot decide. Are you the asshole for harboring a deep hatred for the beloved mm-hmm. bringer of joy, mm-hmm. Guardian Australia Bird of the Year poll? Out of everything that I've ever said on this podcast, um, this is definitely the thing that is going to get me fired. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm putting it in this spot right now. Am I the asshole for hating Guardian Australia's much beloved... Bringer of joy. Bringer of joy poll, bird of the year. I will clarify that this is because of my long-standing fear of birds. That's important context. A phobia which I do not want to confront on an annual basis, full stop. Am I the asshole? Submit. Okay, I'm getting a pretty positive response. Someone says, not the asshole. But can I ask why you feel the need to share this information with a random stranger? Oh, honestly, I feel like that could be a response to everyone who has a podcast. Yes, that could be a response to anyone who exists on the internet. That is true. Second response, you're the asshole. I have irrational fears of butterflies, rats, and wasps. But that doesn't mean that I don't like them. I love all those things. (laughs) The third response... (laughs) says not the asshole it's an annual ordeal it's like the australian version of the global war on terror (laughs) well what what i think is even more terrorizing is that it gives you these three answers like it's not definitive what is the point of this bot if it's not definitively weighing in on whether or not someone is or is not the asshole Okay, that's exactly the question I had as well, because I was like, I turned to this bot because I wanted reassurance, you know? I was like, I wanted once and for all to have justification for why I hate everything in the world. Of course. Unfortunately, um, it turns out that we've all been punked. This is actually a bot that is essentially a big social experiment that's all about biased AI. Mm. <laughs> Basically, I think the intentions of the creator are, are just showing us that what you put in is what you get out in AI. That if you code like subconscious biases into Mm. your AI system, that's exactly what it'll spit out as well. So the whole point is that this is just a really horrible idea and we should not be outsourcing our humanity to an AI that is modeled off of the most insane Reddit users on the internet. Exactly. And it makes much more sense taking advice from anonymous Reddit users themselves. Miles, thank you so much for filling in on this show. I hope I've made you laugh and or cry. You can go now. Thank you so much for having me. I'll just go back on mute and enjoy the rest of the show. 
Coming up, we're talking all about the political memes that have invaded my feed and probably yours. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. She's back. It's Guardian Australia reporter and resident TikToker and newly minted election expert Matilda Bosley. She's back on the podcast. Matilda, hello. Hello. I'm so blessed to be here. I'm ready to talk about silly little election things. Matilda, I've asked you back onto this pod because you are the host of our new series, Voting 101, which is all about getting the important info about this very long and protracted election into the hearts and minds of young people as someone who identifies as young-ish. <laughs> I feel very disillusioned towards politics right now, can I just say, and specifically, I guess, the discourse. And it's 95% because of the sheer avalanche of content that is being put out by politicians and punters. I'm talking incredibly cringe memes. I'm talking Scott Morrison photoshopped as Ronald McDonald. I'm talking the Greens <laughs> eating kebabs and telling me to have a good 420. I'm talking Albo as Cher from Clueless. It's it's so much. Make it stop. Look, speaking of someone who spends her uh, eight working hours a day making you, political content online, although obviously from a very different um, perspective, I agree in some ways with you about being cynical about the actual content that is being put out there. I don't fundamentally agree that it's a bad thing that we have politicians trying to engage with young people in the language that young people use, honestly. And, you know, I will fight you to the death about this. I'm sure we'll have a (laughs) large debate. Before we fight to the death, though, I think to take it all the way back, when did politicians actually start becoming content creators. Like, I feel like it's been around for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, basically every election that goes by, uh, memes become more important and social media becomes more important. And, you know, like anything else in politics, they're about like eight years behind the actual zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. I think the rise of memes in their like most basic form sort of came around the George Bush Jr. era where, you know, he would say, he would say a silly thing. He would say the internets and then everyone would put sort of bold impact font making fun of him on a photo of him. And like, obviously that's the rudimentary, you know, original meme style. It then became more of like a, I guess, a political weapon definitely throughout. But I think most people point to 2016 as a big moment for that, where you have, Memes coming from both sides, memes spreading misinformation, memes just about everything. I mean, Trump was the perfect candidate to make memes about, right? Like he was very fertile ground for that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But most of what we're seeing there is sort of organic, grassroots. This is how people are engaging in democracy. This is how young people really choose to engage in democracy. But obviously once anything gets popular and becomes part of that conversation, uh, politicians are going to adopt it too. Basically, it's a good way to get some shares online. Like politicians aren't known for being funny. So if they, or let's be real, someone in their team can think of like a funny shareable 
internet take, then that's going to do well for them and that's going to have a significant amount of like organic sharing rather than pouring the millions in that they would have to pour to get that same ad shared the same amount of times. Do you recall the kind of like first time you saw a meme be weaponized in this way by a politician? Was it like during the 2016 hilarification era? Honestly, I have always engaged in politics via memes. Like that's how me in high school, me in primary school, that's the way I kind of got the information that I had. It's a terrible way of getting the information, but it's it's what I sort of grew up on. Almost hard to pinpoint the start of it. I think it's been just very organic for how I've seen politics the whole way through. Look, every week I come on this podcast and I do admit and confess things that I should probably be telling my therapist, but I want you to know that there was a time when I was actually really proficiently making these memes. I was a model UN nerd between like 2013 and 2017. We're talking like full on Lisa Simpson, American high school, insane level. I ran a meme page called Model UN Memes for Diplomatic Teams. (laughs) Redact that phrase. Um, Sorry, I I don't want to continue on with this podcast. It's been so nice. (laughs) See you, Michael. Bye. (laughs) I totally understand. There was a lot of Trudeau. There was a lot of Macron thirst. It was the golden age of politician thirst. I have nothing but deep regret for who I was in those times. I think that definitely informs my cynicism as well. It's just this deep disgust that I was ever embedded so deeply into like political meme culture. You were just a real comedic shill for the global order, weren't you? I really was. I really was. (laughs) But let's talk specifically about Australia. It feels like I can't go a day without seeing some kind of meme content being posted by an Australian politician or their parties. That obviously makes sense because it's election season. Every time I see this content, I actively take the extra step to press not interested, to train my algorithm, never to show me anything like this again. But that's why I need you here to give me the lay of the land. What does meme culture in Ozpol actually look like right now? That's interesting because I feel like I am not seeing enough politicians try hard enough. <laughs> um, maybe I'm not even recognising what they're doing as attempts to be memes because they're so unfunny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let me give you a bit of a rundown of what the major players, the memes we're seeing. The main place that it's happening now and where it's really exploded is TikTok. Yes, of course. So before, what were you going to do? Share something on Facebook? The kids aren't there. Share something on Instagram? I don't even know how to share something on Instagram. (laughs) TikTok, perfect format for it. It rewards funniness. It rewards quick little videos. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, You had Labor put out one just quite recently uh, using the Dua Lipa's song Levitating. I do not like where this is going. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a line in the song where she sings, you want me? And then there's uh, just some other lines. And then in another part of the song, she says, no. And then they cut it together and it says, you want me? No. (laughs) You want me? No, ad nauseum. What they've done, obviously, is put a fairly unflattering photo of uh, Scott Morrison for the You Want Me, and then for all the no's, you have fire victims who didn't want to shake his hand, anyone who's ever snubbed him at all. Then you get into, like, oh, Australia, no, we don't want him. Authorised by P. Erickson, ALP Canberra. What was the reception like to this meme? Like, did it go off? Were people, like, really into it? Got about 45,000 views last time I checked. It's fine. Better than, you know, probably what the paid political advertising would have got them uh, for, you know, a fraction of the price. It's quite easy 
for like the more left-wing parties to get away with stuff on TikTok, uh, given the demographic, uh, which is a bunch of young mm-hmm. people, and there's a general culture of disdain for Scott Morrison. So I can't give Labor too much credit here because it's like you're preaching to the choir, you know? You're absolutely right. Like it is low-hanging fruit in the sense that it's like it's really easy to make fun of Scott Morrison. <laughs> so it's even more damning when the meme is bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you're sort of like, who is this for? Mm-hmm. Like, is it for middle-aged people to be like, <laughs> hilarious, retweet? Now that I'm saying it that's out loud, exactly that's exactly who it's for. Modern. Yeah. It's for my aunt. Well, like, that's the thing. It's it's the, some political memes are the new wave of, you know, like the wine mum minion memes that controlled the internet for years. But one thing that I also have noticed when we're talking about political memes is that they're basically always attack ads. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking all about, you know, oh, there's so much negative campaigning, there's so many attack ads. These memes are part of that because it's easier to score points, it's easier to get people to reshare, it's easier to get elicit a chuckle if you're confirming a bias and it's easier to, you know, get people to chuckle about how bad Scott Morrison is from Labor's point of view than how good Elbow is because it's like Mm -hmm. he doesn't really have that sort of personality or that feeling or that culture around him. And the Liberal, and this isn't just Labor, it's not them. It's a two-way street. It's 100%. And the Liberals very much do this too. So when it comes to the Liberals, the main meme factory of that group isn't actually the, well, it's not strictly the party itself. It's their young chapter. It's the young Liberals. They love a meme. They adore it even. And, you know, I denigrated Labor for being a bit late off the block with um, meme culture, waited a bit too long to use that trend. These guys made the opposite mistake. They went way too soon. So, Minutes after this Oscars situation happened where you had Will Smith slap Chris Rock on stage, the Young Liberals tweeted out a photo where they have the photograph of the slap occurring and they've labelled Chris Rock, hardworking Australians, being slapped by Will Smith, which is Labor's higher taxes. Uh, and people didn't like it. <laughs> it didn't go down well. Part of it was like, oh, God, the Liberals are coming in and, and stealing up the memes beforehand and now it's not funny. You know that sort of idea once politicians get involved? But also this situation went very quickly from being like lighthearted, funny internet jokes to like a very serious discussion about disability and race and the other, you know, issues that have happened in Hollywood that haven't had this much condemnation. Like this was a complicated issue. If only they knew the beast that was about to be unleashed. (laughs) And they probably should have known being a group of politically minded um, young people, they should have been able to see that coming. They ended up deleting this photo. So Mm. once again, it's this very negative kind of cheap joke tactic, which is what brings me to my third example, which I believe Maybe the best political meme that's so far been produced. Okay, say much more. It's going to melt my heart. It's by the Greens. And, yes, it does pain me to compliment any politician on this, by the way. So know mm-hmm. that this doesn't mm-hmm. come easily. It's a quick shot. It's on TikTok. A quick shot of Adam Bant sort of looking proudly up and to the corner of the screen. And it says, pretty excited for our newest Greens candidate. And then it pans across. And what you see is Parliament House with a giant... Shrek in a sort of pleather body catsuit and high heels twerking to the song Material Girl. It's 
amazing. It says that he's got uh, great energy, layers, yelling, what are you doing in my swamp will be good for question time. It's just perfect. Because it's an established meme. The Shrek uh, dancing in front of buildings and taking up the whole sky was a thing that was going around on TikTok. Granted, about four weeks before this TikTok came out, we're still a bit behind the times. But I think why people appreciated it was it was that it actually wasn't attacking anyone. It was just a joke that was funny and it doesn't take themselves too, too seriously, which really sets them apart. And, you know, I think some of the other memes that we're seeing still absolutely hold the political party sacrosanct, which I don't think is as effective. I'm really sorry, but I also find the Adam Bant video absolutely foul. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate, look, I appreciate the fact that he's, you know, up with the times. He's actively subjected himself to a video of Shrek in a leather playsuit twerking. I think my issue lies more with the line you said about how politicians... Um, are not taking themselves too seriously. And maybe this is just like too galaxy brain of me, but I feel like it's a very slippery slope because as much as I might like any certain party, the fact that politicians are doing this and actively creating this image of themselves plays into the idea of politicians as popular figures. And I think if we want to go even more extreme, I would say that we shouldn't be humanising politicians at all. Like, in my mind, there seems to be this direct link between politicians being able to wield social media as this image-making tool and the rise of populism. And I guess the extension of that can be, like, let's take the kind of biggest meme example so far, which is Scott Morrison playing Midnight Sun in Cuba on the ukulele. And Obviously, like, it's funny. Everyone's making fun of him for it. Everyone's making a bunch of memes out of it. There was plenty of content. I saw someone sort of green screen him out onto the bushfires uh, playing the ukulele in front of him. And it's like, that's good content. But also... I, what I guess was missing for me in that conversation was the fact that Scott Morrison knows what he's doing, right? Like him being the daggy dad, like the, you know, cringy dad wearing the, you know, the shoes and talking too much about curry night and playing the ukulele benefits him because it's a persona that's very gentle and approachable and you know him and stuff like that. But it's done in this way where I think maybe young people feel like they're the ones who are ahead of the joke when they're making fun of him for doing this, when actually it kind of plays into his strategy a bit. And it's like, you know, this is for every single politician, right? Me talking about Adam Bant, that TikTok is playing into his strategy 100%. Sometimes like Making these memes and engaging in these memes itself turns the whole thing into merely spectacle. It turns politicians into like sitcom characters, into cartoon characters from like a reality TV show. So are we just distracting ourselves from the conversations we actually need to be having? I am split, which is on one hand, I think that it is really important that young people don't lose sight of every single piece of content produced by a politician or produced by anyone affiliated with a political party has to be viewed cynically. It has to be viewed with this analytical mind. You have to be like what I was saying, which is like the intention of this meme is to make it seem like they're connecting with young people. What I would also hope is that young people also in the back of their mind might be like, okay, but I need 
to actually see policies as well attached to this to prove that point too. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I think that we have a problem where you have a group of young people who are really politically engaged in Australia and then no one talking to them from Canberra, no one actually connecting with young people or engaging them. And it's like if you have a young engaged populace, you want to keep it that way. And if we continue to have sort of like old stuffy taking themselves extraordinarily seriously politics, you aren't going to engage young people that way. And to add another level of just confusion and obfuscation about the whole shebang that I think genuinely makes it hard to approach these memes critically sometimes is the fact that politicians pay meme accounts almost as like native advertorial to incorporate things about them into their accounts. Like the iconic example is Mike Bloomberg being exposed for was essentially cash for comment um, from these like Gen Z shitposting accounts to be making memes about him. And and we've seen that in Australia as well, right? Yes, we saw this fairly early on, well before the election was ever called. Uh, Crikey's Cam Wilson had a report talking about how a small uh, advertising agency that I think had worked in the US but works with politicians had been sending emails soliciting basically uh, anti-Scott Morrison videos from creators, uh, you know, in the name of the Labor Party. It's very unclear exactly how official all this was, if all those proper authorization things would have been checked off. We don't know even if this is kind of materialised into any videos, but it's very clear that, you know, making an anti-SCOMO video or a pro-Labor video or, you know, the opposite way round for the Liberals, it's on people's mind. They are aware that TikTok is a tool and memes are a tool that can be used. And because because this app has such a powerful algorithm, you end up, you know, targeting Australians. It's Australian content. We'll send it to Australian users. We'll send it to the young people who are here. You know, that's a level of sort of marketing and targeted advertising that you usually have to pay a lot more than 300 bucks for. We should say, by the way, because we are a balanced and fair media organisation, obviously, that the Labor Party and Anthony Albanese have distanced themselves from these claims and the SMH have reported that despite the Labor Party entering into discussions with local media, no money had been or would be paid for any videos posted online. But the truth still remains. We know politicians themselves are spending so much time and effort into keeping up with these apps, continuing to use social media as a tool for campaigning. Do you think we need to get better at being more critical of the content that we see on TikTok and elsewhere? Oh, I'm terrible at picking ads. Like, Same. I'm very, I'm a very, like social media literate person. I am on these apps constantly. I constantly like miss it. I'll see someone, you know, like offering their dad a Lipton iced tea and I'll be like, that's funny. It's Australiana. (laughs) And then two days later, I'll see it as an ad for Lipton iced tea. And I'm like, well, I'm an idiot. So that does make me wonder, you know, like there are so many like uh, accounts that are for politicians or for political parties or people who are just fans of this politician we don't know what their roots are. We don't know the connections these people have to political parties. We don't know. You know, it, it's it's a big question and I think it is a bit of the wild, wild west on social media and we often say, oh, young people need to be more media literate. It's hard. Like, we, we need to... It really is. Like, <laughs> this is not just people being stupid and not thinking critically. It's actually really difficult to figure out what's going on sometimes. Um, so I want to bring it back to something that you said At the very start, you said that you think politicians actually need to be making more content, that that would actually make sense for their campaigns. Say more. 
there's a lot of room for like humanization and authentic, oh, sorry, it's a podcast, you can't see, I'm quotation marks things, <laughs> <laughs> like authentic, like connecting with people that I don't think politicians are taking. Like you see um, Jacinda Ardern does Facebook Lives just like over dinner and talks to uh, people in New Zealand about things that are going on. Or in the US, you have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who rose to prominence because she was doing these like very grassroots, like connecting with people, social media things. And it's like, it doesn't take too much social media literacy to actually just be good at social media sometimes. And I don't quite see why this isn't being prioritised more by politicians. Like we need less, you know, would you like taxes with that McDonald's Scott Morrison um, memes and more just like people authentically interacting with people online. And I genuinely think if there was an ability to do that, that could actually be good for the democratic process. Here's my thing. I propose that there should be a carbon tax for content. There should be a content tax. (laughs) You make one piece of content as a politician, you better be doing something good in the real world as well. You shut down one coal-fired power plant, you get to post one meme. That's the deal. Well, that's that's a good point, right? Like, we're talking all about, like, politicians trying to connect with young people through memes, what politicians could be doing more to connect with young people. We could just be, like, talking about climate change and mental health more in this campaign, the issues that young people care about. Like, this has not been a young people-centric campaign, so it's almost like politicians are having to work overtime to connect with this group of voters, like just make some policies that mm-hmm. engage young people, like talk about university fees. Exactly. I don't care about who you are. I care about us. A few more little bits of climate policy is probably as good as 300 little memes. Matilda, because um, Alex is off this week, I also, before you leave, I do want you to tell me your top of the list. It is that time where we share our recommendations for whatever movie, film, TV show, podcast we are currently obsessed with. Matilda, what is yours? Okay, so this is going to be a hard sell. Ready. I'm going to recommend a 21-hour-long video essay about the long-since-cancelled Nickelodeon sitcoms iCarly and Victorious. Sorry, I'm obviously in. It's a harder sell to our listeners, so sell to them, not to me. Okay, so this guy, Quinton Reviews, has dedicated his life for the past six months, it seems, making these videos analysing to the high heavens these Nickelodeon children's sitcoms, iCarly, and then its sister show, Victorious, because he was just a huge fan of iCarly back in the day. So, like, the Mm -hmm. first video covers the first three seasons of iCarly. It's four hours and 45 minutes long. The second one, three hours and 35 minutes. Look, iCarly is cinema. iCarly is a film. So I will be binging or 19 hours. Um, I have a recommendation for you. Please, please. I Genuinely, I need any other content. It is also kind of like a long-form podcast. It's a podcast called Scam Fluences, um, and it's hosted by Sacha Cool and Sarah Hagi, and um, it's literally just a podcast about everyone's favourite topic, Scam Influences. They're not just talking about, you know, like the Carolyn Callaways and the ones that we already are all too familiar with. It's very much like they frame it in this true crime kind of sense. And every two episodes goes through one very detailed investigation and narrative into another scammer, another grifter, giving me ideas left, right and centre. So take a listen. Scamfluences is its name. 
Matilda, thank you so much um, for for engaging in some battle to the death debate with me today. And thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you so much. I may take your uh, advice on just pressing not interested on every political meme that I see. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, you should probably subscribe to this show. It's so easy. You're already listening to it. Just hit follow on that podcast player. You can scream back at us across the void by leaving us a review, but only if you're screaming compliments. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert, Camilla Hannon, and Joe Koning, who also handcrafted the music. Executive produced by Miles Martignoni and Steph Harmon. We'll see you next week. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.